Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be continuing on from what we le- read last week. Um, we're going to be reading verses 11 and 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So I pray now that your son would be our teacher this morning, that you would guide us by the Holy Spirit with the words of our hearts and the meditations of our minds be acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you know my story, middle school was not really a great time for me. I want to tell you a story about that, and it was about my first dress code violation in seventh grade. Now, I went to a private K-8 through uh, Christian school, and we had a uniform where you could wear one of three different color polos, but you always had to wear khaki shorts. Until seventh grade, when over the summer they changed the dress code to allow you to wear blue shorts. So my mom comes to me and says, hey, Tyler, would you like to wear blue shorts to school this year? And I said, absolutely. And so here I am on the first day of seventh grade with blue shorts on. And I was the only one with blue shorts on. Now, they hadn't done a good job of letting the teachers know that the dress code has changed. So here I am at first period with my blue shorts on, and what do I get? A dress code violation. And you can imagine my anguish. Because here I am, I thought I was doing something right, and I'm being punished for it. And I just remember the feeling of it. It all got rectified. The principal came in and took it away and said, we're actually allowed to wear blue shorts. But I remember that feeling, that moment when I didn't quite fit in. I remember feeling the looks. I remember feeling the whispers. I was different. I didn't fit in. And there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. And I think all of us have felt that feeling before in some way or another, right? Maybe it was that imposter syndrome that you felt, or you felt when you started your job or you became a parent for the first time. Maybe it was that casual dinner party that you showed up to that wasn't quite casual. Or maybe more seriously, it was that time you came to church feeling like your life was falling apart you looked around and it didn't seem like anyone else's was. And it's in that moment, it's that acute realization when you realize that you don't quite fit in, you're different, and all we want to do, right, is fix it. And so as we come back to 1 Peter 2 this morning, this is the major problem that Peter is seeking to answer. See, he's writing this letter to exiles, to Jews who are no longer in their homelands, And many of them are living in various regions around the world. And many of these cultures are not welcoming to Christian belief. They're actually hostile. And so at every turn, these Christians are realizing that their beliefs make them different. It makes them stick out. And the church is realizing that it doesn't quite fit in with the world. And as we discussed earlier with my story, that's not quite a great feeling. So Peter writes this letter to comfort them, but not just them, but all Christians and at all times. And it gives them wisdom on how to navigate 
this cultural moment, this moment when they realize that they don't fit in. And so the answer First Peter gives to our question this morning, where do I fit? It's actually a pretty simple answer, but I don't think it's the answer we quite want to hear. When pressed with the issue of how Christians fit in the world, where do you fit? The answer is that you don't. You don't. See, Peter impresses upon us the wisdom that to not fit in, to feel uncomfortable with the tension of living our faith in the world is actually normal. We aren't supposed to fit in this world because we were made for the next one. Yet, Peter doesn't leave us there because we still have to live in this world, don't we? Tomorrow, you're still going to have to go to work. You're still going to have to go to school. So how do we live our lives when we realize that we don't fit? Well, this passage this morning gives us three nuggets of wisdom. We ought to live by not compromising, not pulverizing, I love that word, not pulverizing, but living with a heavenly vision in mind. Not compromising, not pulverizing, but living with a heavenly vision in mind. So how does our text break that down? Well, the first thing that we see is Peter commands us not to compromise, not to compromise. In verse 11, it says, Beloved, as sojourners and exiles, abstain. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, abstain is a pretty clear word. It means to stay away from, to not do. But what exactly are those passions of the flesh that Peter is talking about? What are we not to do? Well, you actually don't have to read much further into 1 Peter uh, to see what he actually means by this. 1 Peter 4.3 says this, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want sexuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And this is the important part. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them, and they malign you. So when we read that, what do we see? That list is full of individualistic pleasure-seeking that seeks to put you at the center it's all about you, what you want, what you need, how you feel, and what you think is right determines your actions. And here come these Christians who are coming into the culture, and they're preaching something totally different. They're saying, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Who I am, as we talked about last week, is wrapped up in my belonging to God, in the family of God. So these Christians are deciding not to engage. They're deciding not to jump in this pleasure-seeking individual, individualistic culture. And what's happening? They're being made fun of for it, being scorned for it, being maligned for it. That's a great word. So when Peter reminds them in verse 11 to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war on your soul, I want you to pick up on how heavy a command that is, how much weight it has. Because to follow the Gentiles means you lose the core of who you are in Christ. But every day, if they don't and they choose to stay faithful, they're being mocked. They're being rejected. They're being scorned. See, they don't fit and everyone knows it. 
I think humans have two tendencies when they don't fit. And this is how they try to respond to fix the insecurity, to fix the tension, because we hate tension. We're going to do everything we can to get rid of it. And the first thing that we'll do is we'll do whatever it takes to accommodate and to fit back in with the mold as soon as possible, to get back to the status quo. So back to the story that I told you earlier about me in blue shorts, what would compromising have looked like? Well, it would have been me showing up, realizing that I'm the only one in blue shorts and running immediately to the office as fast as I possibly can to call my mom and tell me to bring, her, bring me some khaki shorts. Why? Because I just want to fit back in. I want to get back to the status quo as soon as possible. I think the first half of our text preaches wisdom to people who are tempted by that response in their faith. Because as much as it would be easier to go with the flow, to give in, to figure out how to sync your faith up with the cultural priorities, Peter says you can't compromise. Abstain from those passions. Don't give in. Remain distinct and different from those around you. Because if we compromise, we lose something of the power of the gospel in us. And as we read this text in our own cultural moment, doesn't that wisdom still ring true? Because we have mounting pressures on all sides in our present day, on all sides of the political aisle, of social relationships, that are heaping on telling us, hey, this is how the church can remain relevant. This is how the church can help people. This is who you need to be. And so what we've seen is this temptation for Christianity to make the gospel just a little bit more cultural friendly, right? So that people will accept us. We'll leave certain parts out. We'll lessen a harsh word here. We'll relieve the tension by any means possible between the church and the world. And rather than contextualize the gospel so that the culture can understand it, we're actually allowing the culture to tell us what the gospel is. And the result of that is that many of us actually don't have a faith that keeps us up at night. We don't have a faith that keeps us up at night. What do I mean by that? Well, it can be pretty easy to be a Christian in a world where everything lines up perfectly with your political beliefs, your social relationships, and everyone on social media agrees with you. And yet, First Peter comes along and it questions that whole scenario. If there's no tension between how you live and the world around you, if your life can look the same whether Christ is in it, and if he's not, then we need to reevaluate whether we have compromised. Are we allowing ourselves to be shaped and formed by the God of Holy Scripture, or are we allowing culture to dictate what we ought to believe? And when we're formed by God, we're going to feel attention. And if we're formed by the culture, we often won't. And I don't want you to hear me say that being a Christian ought to be, always be hard and stressful. That's not what I'm saying. We have the peace that surpasses all understanding and joy unsurpassed. But should there be times where your faith is challenged? Where you're stretched and made uncomfortable? Absolutely. See, our rhythms and our lives as Christians ought to be distinct and different because the gospel that we hold on to and we profess is distinct and different. The way we handle work in a production and work-based culture, work and rest, that ought to be different. The way we handle our lives socially ought to be distinct 
the way we love those who hate us and disagree with us, we're going to get to that in a minute, the way we prioritize our time in every way, God calls us not to compromise ourselves to the way the world thinks that things should be done. But when we think according to our identity in Christ, like we talked about last week, and we actually take the next step and we pattern our lives on that, we begin to experience the way that life was intended to be. We begin to show the power of the gospel, not just in our words, but in our actions as well. See, we think fitting in when we ask the question, where do I fit? We want to fit in because we believe that the earth can give us what we need to be satisfied. But in all respects, the gospel shows us that only following Jesus can give us life as it was truly meant to be. So as we consider our faith, I want us to ask ourselves the really tough question. What are you willing to compromise? What are you willing to give up so that you can stay relevant in your family, job, neighborhood, town, nation? It's a big question to think about. So on the one hand, don't compromise. But then there's another response to tension, right? So if compromising is the one end of the spectrum, then pulverizing tension would be the exact other extreme. Look at verse 12. Peter calls them first to abstain, but he doesn't stop there. The passage just keeps on going, right? He commands them to live honorable lives among the Gentiles. I want you to note a few things there. First, Peter commands them to live among the Gentiles. Those people who have been mocking you, who've been scorning you, who've been making fun of you. Yeah, I don't want you to get away from them. I want you to go towards them. And the second thing is he wants them to live honorably. Keep your conduct honorable. That word there is kalos in Greek, uh, which means beautiful, good, desirable. So Peter is calling them on the one hand not to compromise, but he's also not calling them to war either. He calls them to be good citizens, to live lives of love and peace. You just need to read to the next verse that I didn't read in verse 13, where Peter calls them to submit to their authority in everything. See, Christians are called to be uncompromising, but they're also called to be gracious in honoring those with whom they disagree. Verse 17, just a little bit further down, it says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Going back to the story of me and shorts, uh, one thing that Allison will tell you is that I'm extremely stubborn, and I hate losing an argument, and I will go down in flames before I tell you that I was wrong. Uh, and so when I am confronted with the tension of I'm wearing blue shorts and everyone is telling me that I can't wear blue shorts, how do you think I took it? I didn't take it well at all. Told off my teacher, made fun of the kids who were making fun of me, and I just got really, really mad. Why? Because I got put in a corner. And I felt like the only way that I could relieve the tension was by somehow gaining control and fighting back. Because if I fought back, everyone would know that I was right. I'd be able to get rid of the insecurity. I think that's so true of how oftentimes we live our Christian lives sometimes. While on the one hand, we're tempted to compromise, on the other, on the other hand, we become aggressive fighters. We seek to belittle others, get the upper hand, and we become really frustrated when people don't respond the way we want them to, right? That's how culture oftentimes responds to us. So we become uncompromising like Peter wanted us to. We hold fast, but we refuse to honor 
and love and cherish those with whom we disagree. And I think the best example is social media nowadays because we're protected behind a screen, right? Some of the things you read in a comment section are harsh. It's curt or attacking persons and not the idea. And I don't think the church is necessarily exempt from that. And so as Christians, we're called to hold fast to the truths of the gospel, absolutely, but we're also called to love those with whom we disagree. We're called to live distinctly in the culture, to not run away from it. Because to be a Christian is to bear truth, but to bear it in love and grace, the same way Jesus came full of truth and love. And this is important. We can do this. We can live this way when we are secure and we trust in the promises of God. We can live this way when we're secure and we trust in the promises of God. I think so often we struggle with the desire to fight because deep down we don't believe that God's word and his promises can defend themselves. We believe that if we don't act, we don't fight, we don't win, then it's all going to be for naught. That somehow this is all going to go away. That God will lose. However, Peter says you can live honorably among the Gentiles. The people who disagree with you, the people who don't like you, you can live honorably because your identity is sure. His promises are sure. The gospel cannot be overturned because Jesus is himself alive. And that's good news. And so when we meet people who we disagree, when we struggle with relationships that are hard because we disagree, with people who malign us, with people who mock us, we can rest in the hope of Jesus. See, he has already overcome the world. And now we are set free to love and to serve rather than to fight and win. See, we don't have to pulverize culture to make it like we want it to be, but we can honor and love those with whom we disagree because we know that the promises of God will come to pass. So don't compromise, don't pulverize. What's the last thing? Uh, live with a heavenly vision. Live with a heavenly vision. So Peter says, don't compromise, don't pulverize. But he finishes here by pointing us to heaven. Verse 12, he says, live honorably so that the Gentiles may see and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, Peter tells them that you need to hold the tension, don't compromise, don't pulverize, because Jesus is coming again. The reality that Jesus is coming again to renew and restore all things will give us the strength to live distinct Christian lives and to love people with whom we disagree. To illustrate this, uh, one of my all-time favorite snacks is Cheetos Puffs. I love it. It's pure junk. They're the best things ever. minute 12 on the stationary bike, I am dying, pouring sweat, like feeling like I'm just about to keel over and die. And, you know, the temptation is there. Get easier to pedal. And what do I start thinking about? Cheetos puffs, right? Basic motivational tactics, right? The reward helps get me through the challenge.
true and living God. And in the same manner, if God is for us, he's won the battle over sin and death, and he has secured you in his arms, and he will never let you go until the day he comes again when we are with him in glory, then why do you feel the need to defend yourself? Why do you have to attack? You're free. You're free to love, honor, submit, and respect others, even if they're harsh toward you. See, we don't need earth to only give us what heaven can give us, to pray for glimpses of heaven. We ought to pray that our hearts would not be distracted by earthly things, but long for heaven. Because when we long for heaven, when we fall more in love with that picture, we're not going to care that we don't fit in here anyway because we were made for somewhere else. I'll close with this story. Um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, so I went to theme parks, an absolute bunch. And one of my favorite things to do in a theme park is people watch because people will do the funniest things or just the straight-up rudest things in a theme park uh, when they're on vacation at Disney. They'll wear the obnoxious Mickey ears. They'll wear the, wear the matching T-shirts that are really cringy. Uh, you'll see the big guy standing outside Space Mountain crying because he's afraid, but he's also the same guy who's singing the words to every princess song at the show. You, you know what I'm talking about. On the meanwhile, you'll see somebody who just shows the unashamed rudeness. They'll cut in front of somebody, and then they'll get around, and they'll get in a fight with the person that they just cut in line. And it's amazing how people's true selves come out when they're on vacation at Disney. And why is that? Because they don't have to fit in at Disney. No one's opinion is around that they care about. They're not Orlando residents like I am where, oh, if I get seen, I might have to answer for my behavior. But rather, they're free to be who they truly are. And friends, that is the freedom that you've been given in Christ. You belong elsewhere. You belong to the people of God. And because your identity is sure, you're free to be a disciple in this world. You don't have to care. You don't have to try to fit in because you can be sure of your status in the throne room of God. So let's wrestle with this question. And I pray that this would give you hope that you don't have to fit in. And that frees you to be loving, live lives, evidence Christ in every moment so that the world might see our good works. And even though they might make fun of us, even though they might malign us, one day they might praise God on the day.